0: Welcome in, everyone. It is Thursday, December 9th, 2021. I am your host, Mark Real Jr. And tonight we have a very special guest hailing from the state of Kansas. We have Jacob Mambeck. Jake, how are we doing tonight?
1: Doing great, Mark. I'm just glad to be on the show.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show tonight. So we'll go ahead and we'll start right off uh, every single week with our guests we talk about, uh, at the state level and we, we specifically we reference the national parenting organization's scorecard. So in the state of Kansas, you guys grade out as a C minus. So one of this, one of the 27 states or so that are right there in the middle. Um, the big positive in the state of Kansas, uh, is there's a preference for, for joint or shared parenting, uh, in that initial hearing or in, in the permanent order. So, um, in your experience, what does uh, the state of uh, Kansas look like for dads and how does that process go down?
1: Well, uh, typically, you know, if I have a dad walk in my office, there's, there's one of two situations. So the first is that there's been a petition filed against him for a child and there's already temporary orders in effect. Um, in that situation, we try to come up with a way to combat the temporary orders, which includes Uh, typically filing a motion to modify temporary orders most of the time dads are given as a default every other weekend maybe one night a week depending on um, their interaction with the child Uh, we like to combat that and try to get it back to a shared plan now if we if dad comes in prior to a petition being filed then we like to file as soon as possible i mean that's kind of the name of the game in kansas is file first get the temporary orders in your favor And, um, you know, if we like to kind of play it fair and go shared. Now, if it's going to be highly contested, then obviously we have to do what's best for our client. And, uh, you know, there's there's points where we get the it's called residential custody in Kansas, where you get predominantly most of the time. And we might get mom every other weekend. Now, they're going to do the same thing as we did in the first situation and file a motion to modify. And then you'll find yourself in court. So that's kind of the first inclination of what we do when somebody walks through the door.
0: Yeah, I think I think there are a couple of key points. And I think the first one, I don't know if it's just us as attorneys, I don't know if it necessarily changes the fortunes, but filing first. I, I always tell clients, hey, it's best if we file first, we set the tone, the first brief the judge reads is ours, and it gets us into court sooner. Where if you wait, they may set the tone um, Quite frankly, in in my opinion with a lot of times we try to put out the olive branch with that initial filing. Like, hey, we're not gonna go to war here. We wanna work with you. Where she may go out and hire an attorney that immediately wants to go to battle and wants to make it contested. Whereas if you're the first one and they don't have an attorney yet and we lay something out that's super friendly and it says all over the place, we wanna work together Mm -hmm. and we're not trying to prolong this. You may be able to get it done quicker because in my opinion, and I'll I'll pass it over to you. My opinion for dads, the quicker these things resolve themselves, the better the outcome typically is for dads. The longer these get drawn out, allegations, just different Mm -hmm. situations, it makes it messier. It makes it tougher. I think it puts dads at a disadvantage.
1: That's that is the absolute truth. You nailed it. Uh, You know, we go by saying you can't score if you don't have the ball. And if you file first, you've got the ball in your court. Uh, now typically what we do or my my practice is is that i like to file obviously file first get temporary orders that are heavily in our favor but then also if there's if there's an attorney on the other side or even if i'm working with uh you know um, a, a pro se litigant on on the other side i reach out to them and say look you know we got the temporary orders but that doesn't mean the show's over we want to get this done as quick as possible so that you guys can go back to co-parenting because in kansas co-parenting is one of the major factors in the best interest standard that determines, you know, how the custody proceeding is going to go. So if you can't co-parent, we're going to use that against you. And, you know, in the temporary orders, if I call you and say, you know, we got temporary orders in our favor, but we want to work it out, let's get as close to shared as we can, then the, the, the temperament of the other side really dictates how that next conversation goes after that.
0: I think that's a big thing when you're looking, when you are are looking for an attorney and you're looking at the reviews, you're talking to people. um, I find a lot of people are surprised when I say, hey, the minute we file, I'm calling the other side. Or if you have a good enough relationship with them, I'm going to have you take what you filed and say, hey, can we can we go grab some lunch? Hey, can we meet up here? Hey, I filed this. I just want to get something formally through the court and we're not going to war the best situations i've ever had in divorces the ones where both parents leave the situation with a positive taste in their mouth and they get out of there for we'll say less than ten thousand dollars combined i I had the dad literally prior to them getting formally served take the paperwork and say here's what i filed not trying to go to war with you here's exactly what i want and then six weeks later we're closing in on having a final judgment a settlement agreement Mm -hmm. in place where If you kind of mess around with it, like I said, I think the longer it goes for dads, the more difficult it gets. There just gets to be, in every single hearing you have, you're both going to say something bad about the other person and make co-parenting tougher. Um, And you mentioned it, being a lot of these states lend themselves to being mom-friendly and the domestic violence laws lending themselves to maybe some very light allegations causing issues. It's in your best interest to just, get it over with um and get something that works for both of you because nobody wants a judge to be the one that determines what's best for their family
1: and Um, trust me the 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 judge you know at least in our district the judge doesn't want to be the one to determine it is notorious it's it's there's a litany of case law out there that states judges do not like making decisions in custody cases they are the hardest cases the, the judge in Allen County will readily say he was involved in a multi-million dollar oil and gas deal, huge, like they had attorneys flying in from New York, LA, Dallas, all over the place. And he says every custody case, that the custody cases to him are more important than the oil and gas cases, because that is dealing with people's lives. The oil and gas is just money, but dealing That's with millionaires' lives millionaires is extremely money. important. So... I had
0: the same thing I had from from Colorado, Heather Mitchell came on and she was a former um, criminal defense attorney and formerly worked uh, at the federal and state level as a prosecutor. And she said that the uh, it, family law is absolutely harder because no matter what type of jail sentence the person was facing, their ch- the children are just so much more important.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So but, we mentioned um, and I talked a little bit before we went on air. So we talked about the longer these drag out, the more likely you see allegations of domestic violence, different things like that. How does domestic violence or allegations of domestic violence play out in the state of Kansas?
1: So, you know, what I was referring to before was most likely a paternity action or a divorce case. Now, there are ways to get around both of those and get temporary orders for custody for your children. And that is through what's called a protection from abuse case. Um, we call these kind of just a knockoff paternity action um, in that, you know, sometimes women make false allegations against a man or very loose allegations against a man that are um, kind of extrapolated out, out of an incident that sometimes it, it's just highly exaggerated. And so they'll file pro se, usually a protection from abuse action it's filed with a petition, and with that, you get temporary orders of the child. So they'll go to court for this protection from abuse, and um, the, the judge, per statute, is ordered to make his final order in a protection from abuse with an abundance of caution. So to me, the burden then isn't as high on the, on, on the woman to get that final order in a protection from abuse case, which also comes with a final order in a custody matter. So she can get custody of the child through a protection from abuse case and then have custody of the child for, say, three months prior to even filing a paternity action or a divorce case. And the PFA order trumps everything so dad can go in and file the paternity action. But there's already a PFA on on file that temporary order is going to hold. So it might take three months to get the PFA case done. Dad's already behind the eight ball because he hasn't seen the kid in three months. So him getting custody back to shared is gonna be almost impossible. I mean, it, it happens because then you can go back and fight the case, fight the facts from the PFA, but it is extremely difficult in that situation to get it back to even. Yeah,
0: I think that, that when I talk to people about this, that the burden to get that in California, we call it a, a, a DVRO, domestic violence restraining order, Calif- or Kansas, a PFA, the the burden to get that temporary order granted is extremely low, very, very low. And in California, then you're 21 to 25 days from being in front of a judge to be able to fight that. They're going to give temporary orders in the interim. And then the burden to grant it, I think the most problematic part is the burden to grant it. In, in California, it's preponderance of the evidence, but there's no incentive for a judge to not grant it. Not granting it puts the judge at risk their name ends up in the paper their name ends up in the news um where if they grant it it's just the dad that has to deal with that now
1: you are exactly right the worst thing and you know i i i i I would like to think judges don't keep this in their mind but they're human they do in the back of their mind the judge is probably thinking if i don't grant this pfa and this and a a subsequent incident occurs they're going to look directly at me and say, why didn't I grant this PFA when I'm supposed to use an abundance of caution? And yeah. no judge wants that. Yeah,
0: it's just it's tough and it, it can be hard to comprehend because, I mean, hey, before um, before you step into and I know you, you and I both came from an athletics heavy background. And and the, the legal stuff that we heard about prior to stepping into family court, it's like, oh, we're going to the, a courtroom in the United States of America. This is going to be fair they they're, they're going to figure this out. They're going to see through all of this.
1: But it just it just simply doesn't work that way in family court. It, you know, you know it doesn't because um you know, so in that situation with a PFA or even if there's any kind of allegation of domestic violence. If you breathe that in a courtroom, the judge is automatically going to have a disposition toward that because there's a threat of it, there's the allegation of it. That's going to be in the back of his mind and that's in honestly, that's one of the factors that judges consider in the best interest standard, which are not always geared toward a father, especially in the younger ages. Um, you know, best interest involves who gets the kid to and from school, who gets the child up and ready in the morning, who who feeds the child and on a on a young child, you know, say that child's breastfeeding, the mother is going to do 99% of that because the child's breastfeeding. So the mother's going to argue, well, Maybe the father shouldn't have overnight visits because I have to wake up at 2 a.m. and breastfeed and he can't do that. Well, there are ways around that. That's their default setting is to argue that the -hmm. way around that is to make arguments like, well, you know, moms freeze milk to go out and have a drink with their friends. Well, most people don't think of that. But that's kind of our spin zone is that you can freeze milk. You can do other things to take care of your child. And, you know, that's that's how you kind of offset, I guess, the difference in in that burden
0: yeah that's that's definitely one of the things that that you see it's kind of the uh i I have a case right now where it's kind of ironic the tables are completely turned it's it's almost weird i have a case where like she was she's been found guilty criminally of domestic violence he's been the primary caretaker and with me i know you you represent both men and women i represent Mm -hmm. only men so you you get a little bit more view of both sides but I'm talking on the phone with opposing counsel earlier this week. And we were talking about a visitation schedule because once there's domestic violence involved, it's presumed the party who perpetuated it should not have legal or physical custody. They should just have visitation. And I, I, am like, okay, so my client's going to be, wants to be super reasonable. He doesn't want to, he's not out to get her. We're willing to, to do this. Like essentially we were offering her <clears throat> like substantial visitation and mm-hmm opposing counsel came back and she's like, well, you know, that's, that's not fair. That's not right. And I'm like, to be candid, the case law says we can't grant 50, 50, the courts won't grant 50, 50. We would have to agree to that. And she's like, you know, that's a BS argument. And I'm like, yeah, it's one that gets made against me every single week, but it's yeah. what the case law says.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. and you know, we go, um, actually one of the partners just had a trial, um, this week where, dad you know dad worked overnights and uh, so mom was arguing against dad having visitation during the week because he worked overnight she was worried about dad not being there to pick up the child from daycare dad not being there in the mornings to you know take the take the child to school because he's gonna have to sleep well a kind of a hidden argument in that aspect is so we got dad dad got extended weekends thursday to monday but then we snuck in a clause which gave him right of first refusal So if he works, you know, 4 to 11 or 3 to 11 at night, 3 p.m. to 11 a.m. Or yeah, 3 3, 3, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., he could then wake up the next morning, pick up the child from daycare, go do his daily activities with the child, have the child back at daycare when he has to go to work. That's that right of first refusal is that he has the right to go get the child from daycare. And, you know around this area, we have a lot of factory workers, a lot of people that work kind of odd graveyard shifts. That's something we like to use to get our dads more time because at that point, they almost have more time than the mother does because she's working all the time, you know, like during the day. So that's kind of a nugget. That, that's one of
0: the best arguments and, and we have, I, I live in, we live in an area out here, I'm primarily in Riverside and San Bernardino County. There are a lot of factories, a lot of warehouses and you have that and that, te- that tends to be one of the better arguments. But on the flip side, one of the things that's been extremely frustrating to me are the men who let's say they don't work the overnight, but they work the 530 to 230. Um, that's what's become the challenge, because mom walks into court and says they can't put the kids on the bus. Grandma has to every morning or they have to bring them over to me and. It, I, I have not seen it in any of my clients yet, but I've seen it in a lot of the uh, of the females, the other parties, where they're not working. They stopped working during COVID and they haven't went back. But mm-hmm. I think that goes to being solutions based on how you respond. Understand yeah. what your strengths are, and the time you're going to be available. If you work graveyards, I mean, you're at work when the kids at sleep asleep. asleep. Um, you you should be able you can you you have an opportunity to maximize the amount of quality time you can spend with your child. You just have to realize that given the situation, it may be tough for you to have quote unquote overnights, but you may have close to 50-50 physical custody and mm-hmm. you're gonna have more quality time with your kid.
1: Right. And it's 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 really funny you mentioned that. I have a trial next week on a guy, you said five thirty to two thirty. I've got a guy next week that has he works four to one, four a.m. to one p.m. So that's the same argument that mom makes is that he's not there to take the kids to school. Literally, grandma has to take them to school. Um, and that's when we sneak in that right of first refusal is that okay, well, he might get off at one. He can spin, he can pick the kids up, you know, from two I think they get out at like 2 30, 2 30 to 5. They can they can hang out. And then as long as he has a back mom by five, then that's kosher and he can do that five days a week. So that's an extra. 15 hours or 12, 12 and a half hours that he gets with the kids each week.
0: Yeah. You get, you get, if you have one of those weird schedules, you work in the morning, you get that right at first refusal put in there. All of a sudden you think about in the summer, they may be being watched by someone. They may have something coming on and all of a sudden, every single afternoon, you're going to be able to go pick them up. You're going to be able to go spend time with them. So not to maybe focus on, I mean, because judges are going to want parents no matter what state you're in. To do whatever activities, and it just may not be possible with your job for you to be able to put them on the bus, and that's fine. But there, there are other advantages you're going to have. All right, so we'll we'll kind of change gears here. We talked a lot about what goes on in Kansas here. Uh, one of the hot topics, and I don't think it's ever been addressed on this show. Um, one of the hot topics in the news and equal and shared parenting right now is the situation that happened in Lubbock, Texas back in November. they had a news conference, the family had a news conference yesterday in Lubbock, Texas. Um, but Chad Reed was killed during a custody change or what, what was supposed to be a custody exchange and boyfriend stepped in and shot him dead on their front lawn, um, I don't wanna to dive too deep into um, Texas law. Texas, guns, and when you can shoot someone is different than any other state in the union. Um, they, they are, they're completely different. Every other state, you have to be in someone's house. Texas, you do not. So I don't wanna dive into the criminal facts of it, but I wanna talk about the custody side of things. So one of the more problematic things in, in whether it be domestic violence cases, uh, or where there's accusations of domestic violence or where parents simply do not get along. Um, what are some tips you can give to people or or how would you attack maybe a high conflict situation when custody exchanges are, are needed? So
1: we have a lot of high conflict cases down here. Um, my tendency is to be as specific as possible in both the temporary orders and in the final orders on exchanges where they're at who is allowed to be there we do and you know kind of referring back to that texas case in some of the cases that we have where the parents have different spouses different relationships we only allow we put it in the temporary order we only allow the natural parents to be present at the exchanges if that were put into that order down in texas that incident would have never occurred because stepdad or boyfriend or whoever it was would have never been there so specific time, specific place, and parties. So if you have those three, then you can really control how that exchange is gonna occur. And also after that, I always advise my clients, always check in via text message prior to the exchange. You can, text, you can text the other side. I will be here at this time. I'm alone with the child. Let me know your ETA and who you're with. And if you, if you do that, then you can really control the exchanges now. There are some cases that aren't very contested. You can kind of be loose with it, but I always like to have at least those three in there so that we know exactly what's going to happen, where it's going to happen, and what time it's going to happen.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's huge, huge advice right there. Um, Specific time, place, and parties. Um, And I, that, that immediately takes me back to the case where I said the roles were kind of flipped from where I typically am representing men where, the dad was getting frustrated. So we had visitation and it was supervised visitation by a third party. So in court, we couldn't specify uh, the place or we couldn't specify, we couldn't specify the time. We couldn't specify the place. um, We could specify the parties, but with no time or place, dad was getting very, very, very frustrated um, because mom was given three supervised visits a week to be supervised by a list of three people they'd agreed upon. Well, it's in mom's best interest to blow his phone up any and every time that those people say, Hey, I can do a visit and dad's getting frustrated, but we're like, well, we really, there's, it's, it's in her best interest to blow you up. It was via talking parents, but it's Uh in her best interest to be constantly on you about getting her visitation. And then she perceives it as if you aren't responsive as you acting in your selfish best interest to not get her the visitations. And so ironically enough, I'm in court tomorrow morning on that case where we're going to resolve some of those issues. But um, that that's a big thing. Be as specific as possible.
1: Yeah. And but, we have also, you know, um, in, in most, in a vast majority of the cases that I have, usually the receiving parent drives to the, I guess, the the parent letting go of the child to their residence or a mutually agreed upon place that might be halfway. So sometimes we have halfway, sometimes we have residential pickups, but in some of these highly contested cases, we have to set the place as a law enforcement agency. We have several that have to come up here to the, um, it's the um, Iowa Police Department or the Allen County Sheriff's Office or whichever law enforcement in whichever county we're working in, that's where the exchange occurs. So. And also, I guess, going back to, you know, after we file the petition and for the temporary orders. So when the other side gets served with those temporary orders, they're not happy. So in those temporary orders, we put that law enforcement is ordered to assist in the initial exchange of the child. That way, that situation that happened down in Texas does not occur, or if it does occur, law enforcement's there. Um, So when we file and get the temporary order, we call law enforcement and say, our clients on the way to this residence to get this child and your order to go help and we'll fax you the order just so you have backup.
0: Yeah, that that's, that, that's one of the, I guess that goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about the uh, sometimes you can't prevent it being a uh, turning into, I guess a, a proverbial boxing match between the two parents, if the communication is not there. But I think that if, if they're, if you're able to put specific time, specific place, if you're able to limit the number of people that can be present there, um, that you you can you can create more more certainty around the situation. I think you made another really good point too, is I always, always, always like to have it where receiving parent does the pickup at the residence. Yes. Um, so then there's no argument about. Um, oh, I'm losing parenting time, this and that. Well, when it was supposed to be your time, you're supposed to be at their curb and the kids are going to run out and get in your car.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point.
0: And I got, I got, a, I got a question here that kind of um, ties into, so Morgan's got kind of a, a two-part question here. Um, so I did an exchange at the police station and she never showed, instead had unknown people pick up and drop off. I think Jake, in talking about his answers earlier, specific time, place, and parties. If there's nothing in your order, they can do whatever they want. Um, when 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 people message me, or people reach out, or people ask questions, um, is it in your order?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, if it's not in your I, order, there's no rules. Th- there isn't. But in that situation, and I'm not your attorney, and this isn't my, this isn't legal advice to you because I don't know the exact situation. But in that situation an unknown person to the person drop it to the parent is picking up your child withhold the child and good luck with a contempt action because you have an unknown person picking up your child that is that is a threshold that I would not be willing and comfortable to cross
0: I agree I do want like an asterisk though saying unknown person is like aunt uncle grandma Um, that's much different
1: than someone you've never seen before. If it's someone you've never seen before, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Not let that child in the vehicle. Um, If it's an aunt or uncle, that's when the the text prior to the exchange comes into play. You can text the other side and say, I'm here, where are you? Or what's your ETA? Hopefully they would respond with, I'm not going to be able to be there. Grandma's picking up. Or my sister or brother's picking up. Or cousin's picking up. Now, at least you have knowledge of that prior, but if you're just, if that's just spurred on you, uh, that's, that's a very, that gives me an uneasy feeling.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's something that um, I, I, I hate to do this and I hate to, I hate to put it this way, but I feel like that um, and we were, we've prefaced this or we, we this segment with the Chad Reed situation. I think there's instances where uh, it's more common for women to send someone else that, will piss them off. And we've seen, I know in the equal and shared parenting community, we had John Mass situation where father-in-law showed up and murdered him in cold blood up in, I believe North Dakota was where Mm -hmm. the actual killing occurred. And there's situation in Houston, Texas, where the new boyfriend. So that goes back to like getting the parties. So saying it's going to be just mom and dad Or like if mom says, oh, I can't guarantee that I'll do that. You have a set list of people um, that are going to be doing the exchanges, creating as much certainty as possible.
1: Right. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully the parents, because, you know, one of the factors in the best interest standard is the ability to co-parent. So hopefully if you give that text prior to going, you guys are in a good enough place to where you can actually communicate back and forth and say, I'm going to be five minutes late or you know, instead of the police station, I'm here and I'm stuck. Can you maybe bring the kid here? And that hopefully you're at the point where you can work some of that stuff out and it gets easier the, the, the more or I guess the longer the case has been going on with a final order. Um, but that's kind of the situation. Hopefully you get to a point where you can communicate with the other party back and forth to where you can be flexible because all of the all, like the the order is a guideline. You can do whatever you want to outside the order so long as it's agreed upon but the order is a guideline so anytime somebody balks at a proposal then you have to go back to the order but you guys can agree at least in kansas you know say you do the exchange at the police station mom's unable to show because she's stuck at work and she's getting ready to get off and she asked hey can you just meet me at my office and we can have the exchange here and you say yeah then obviously you can go do that and that's probably for the best for both parties because that means you are, I guess, communicating cordially. And that's that's really in the best interest of, of the child is that co-parents get along.
0: Yeah, and then we go back and then both of our states, Kansas and California, um, have what they call the friendly parent factor. So in theory, uh, if you show that you're the parent that's willing to co-parent now, I think it gets enforced to different degrees depending on the judge. Yeah. But if you show you're the parent who's willing to cooperate, willing to work, um, that at minimum is gonna curry some favor with the judge. And it's if you have an attorney, in my opinion, when I have these things to be able to point out, it makes my job a lot easier when we go in to modify or we go in to get final orders.
1: And I have that coming up next week. It's funny you mentioned that. I have that coming up next week where my client is a dad. Um <clears throat> kids, it's it's a long distance parenting plan. Uh the kids live out of state, um, but he lives here in Kansas and So he's supposed to get every other weekend. The kids are high school age. They obviously have activities. They'll text dad midweek, say, hey, dad, we can't make it up this weekend. Um, You know, we've got volleyball or football or basketball or, you know, whatever activities going on. And he'll say, no worries. We'll just, you know, we'll just catch up on a different weekend. He's a very good dad. So then when he tries to reschedule visits with mom, she doesn't let him do that. Now, that's where the friendly parent factor comes in is because I can then go to court with those text messages because I advise all my clients to have written communication, email or text message, and we can go into court and I can show the judge, look, my dad was willing to reschedule with the kids based on activities and then mom thwarted the rescheduling which diminishes my client's parenting time. We need to make this up immediately over the holidays, over summer, over spring break and Typically, judges around here are very good at doing that.
0: Yeah, and that—that's one thing. California, not so much, but that—that's where it goes back to. Like everyone who asks questions, anything like that, come coming directly to my say Facebook page, you got to go talk to a local attorney. If you're in Kansas and you go talk to to Jake, and it's like, hey, this is what's happening, he's going to be able to tell you based on the judge, um, based on the situation, what probably would occur. Whereas if you're in Southern, if you're in Riverside County, I'm in front of literally all of those judges on a monthly basis. You probably come to me with a situation. I can tell you with a great deal of certainty what the judge is most likely going to do. Um, so that's where it, that, that, that's where the benefit of having someone locally and someone who knows the judges can come in huge. All right. So let me, I got, I had another question specific to that. Let me find out. It was a, uh, A follow-up on on Morgan's here. So this is always a a hotly contested issue. Um, So in Morgan's situation, the police refuse to get involved claiming it's a civil matter. Well, they're correct in saying it's a civil matter. Um, That's why in, say, a temporary order or something like that, you put the language in there that the police are ordered to help enforce it, whether a judge signs it or not, or agrees with it or Xs it out may or may not happen, but you have to at least try. Um, Mm -hmm. In Kansas, what is uh, all fall? I'll I'll let you go 1st here. in Kansas when you're having these disputes, what what's kind of the default for law enforcement?
1: So typically on an initial exchange or in a divorce or in a paternity action in the initial exchange, when when I guess temperatures are hot, um, we put we put the uh, law enforcement assistance in the exchange in the temporary orders at least on the initial one, and they get followed. Um, After that, after, I guess, custody and parenting time is established in that temporary order or even in the final order thereafter, typically what occurs is they will say that it's a civil matter. They'll write up a report and then we will file a contempt action. So if mom withholds from dad, dad will call me and he'll say, mom is withholding. I don't know what to do. I'll say wait till Monday morning because it's typically on a weekend. Wait till Monday morning. We'll file a contempt, and we'll, we'll yeah, and we'll notice it up for hearing after that. And typically, what comes after that contempt action is piggyback with a motion to modify custody, because in a motion to modify custody, you have to show a material change in circumstances in Kansas, um, and that material change can be based on the failure to co-parent and the uh, basically the alienation of the other party. And that those are two very important very important factors in Kansas in the best interest standard. So we would use those so there'd be a contempt and a motion to modify custody.
0: Yeah, I think the the document in California. Um, I, I'm ironically enough, I have a, I have several um, probably half a dozen law enforcement clients, and so I've had the conversation about what's the training, what's the teaching. And I represent a few men who are are pretty high up in police departments, sheriff's departments out here. And so I I asked them, I'm like, so what's the, uh, what's the training? What, what are you guys told to do? And I was talking to a client who's a sergeant in a, in a police department here in Southern California. And he, so this is someone who's getting direct orders. Like he knows exactly what the policy is and what the policy is going to be. And one of the realities we have to deal with is that he just says, honestly, until I ended up in this situation, I just assumed all the guys were just deadbeats. They were just try they were just screwing with the mother of their children and I didn't take it seriously. So out here, there's one of those things where I always warn guys. I say, if if you withhold the child, if you do something, the police are infinitely more likely to get involved than if you run to the police and say, say she's withholding the child,
1: absolutely. even if you're waiving
0: a court order. Yes, uh, Absolutely. I, I, I had a client and just like in, in California, in Texas, in Missouri, the, like a lot of these states, there are statutes for interference with parenting time. I've only seen it enforced one time and it was a client of mine prior to me me representing him and he documented it and he provided literally what were weekly updates to the district attorney's office until they filed a case. Once they filed a case, it was open and closed. There mm-hmm. was no way um her attorney basically had her plead out they agreed to do half of the half of the charges and plead out immediately it was open and close but you have to realize that anybody who operate operates outside of family court may not understand the dynamic and police officers in some areas spend as much as 70 percent of their time
1: on domestic disputes I Um, can tell you that that the domestic issues around here they are constantly making domestic battery calls, um, interference with with child custody issues. I mean, they're they're constantly on call. And honestly, they're you know we talked about judges being human. Law enforcement officers are human too. They've probably got their own problems at home. They don't want to deal with somebody else's child custody problems when they might be dealing with their own. So, they can be they can kind of have blinders on in that situation.
0: Yeah. And I'll, I'll take John's question here. So it was it was pleaded out. So they they pled guilty to the charges. And it actually was a very, very strong. I, I can't get into Obviously, the details of the case. We ended up not going to trial. That dad has full legal and physical custody now. Um, but those charges were going to be kind of our our lead mm-hmm. lead issue in the case. Um, in California, it's a misdemeanor. Um, so it was, I think they, they ended up pleading, like, it was like three counts of, um, of, of this specific charge. Uh, but they, they were able to like, literally it was within probably six weeks of the DA arraigning her. They agreed to the plea deal where she now admitted guilt to interference with child custody. And so us as we were heading towards trial, that was one of the things we were going to trot out there. Like this individual clearly doesn't want a co-parent and they've admitted guilt. They've committed crimes in regards to child custody interference. Um, But that was after, I think the dad, I mean, he he has the best records I've ever seen of any client and it's been a very long custody dispute, but um, it, it took him probably a year to get the DA to press a charge. And open and close. I was very confident going into trial that that was going to be our biggest and best piece that we had that they couldn't refuse. She just didn't want to co-parent.
1: Yeah. And that's and that's not even like the failure to co-parent. That's that goes into the alienation of a parent, which is a huge factor, at least here in southeast Kansas courts, is that if you're withholding a child, then, you know, you're going to have your parenting time diminished in favor of them. What was you you had mentioned a tool before um, as far as communicating and i'm guessing it's one of those tools that tracks every single message like it has read receipts it has whether or not a party replied what was that tool called
0: yeah talk, talking parents is the most one most commonly ordered here in southern california okay um, it, it's almost a boilerplate order that gets put into any custody dispute if you guys can't get along you're going to use talking parents
1: we have or i guess in southeast Kansas i'm trying to get it more involved in southeast Kansas but I have cases in uh, Johnson County and Wyandotte County and Miami County in those three counties, those are, that's the, that's the KC Metro. So in the KC Metro uh, it's kind of a default setting to use what's called our family wizard. And it's kind of the same thing. Yes. So John Todd said our family wizard, my man. So that is a default setting in, in those counties where we don't have that in Southeast Kansas. Judges aren't really, really privy to it yet. But I've tried to get it instituted, but that kind of goes along with my point in text, email, everything documented, everything written, because if you talk on the phone, you know, that's not documented. So it's it's going to be your word against her word or her word against your word or however it is. If it's if it's written down and in our family, in our family wizard, I think the judge actually has access to it. So. If, if he sees that one party isn't responding, then he's going to be privy to that information and you're going to get a great advantage if you head not to trial with it.
0: And I think one of the big benefits of those softwares, it, I mean, this is from a selfish standpoint, um, <laughs> those softwares are from an evidence perspective are self-authenticating. So you can't modify, you can't edit. I mean, I think it's 1999 now to buy the transcript of talking parents uh-huh. and you don't have to worry about um, I think we've probably both seen where uh, the client walks in with uh, five years worth of screenshots of text messages. Those could be problematic from an evidence standpoint if they're contested. Well, um, if, you know,
1: so so if the text messages aren't time-stamped, dated, anything, you know, I can argue foundation. I can I can object to a ton of exhibits coming in, coming in with text messages because they could have been altered. They're not original. They're printed off. It's a photocopy. They might not be dated in time. You can go into a bunch of evidence, but with our family wizard and your tool out there, you can literally go in and print them off and you can just probably take, I mean, you know, if the judge has access to it, the judge can probably just take judicial notice of the file and say, judge, you see on page and line that this, that this occurred. That's, that's part of our evidence in the case.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll give another example. I had one where the parties communicated via Instagram messenger and Instagram video. So there was a good log of it, everything like there was nothing, nothing wrong. They weren't arguing that the messages weren't reliable, anything like that. But I ended up having to literally go to Instagram and get an encrypted version of the full transcript of the conversation. It took like four months for us to get that because they essentially argued if, if in theory, most states under evidence, if you present just a screenshot of text messages, um, If someone in in a case involving with with involving a client of mine presents a text message, I'm going to object that it's not a complete record Um, that that they're they're attempting to manipulate the situation like I had one where this it's kind of it was like a five year old text message. And it was when the military um, had banned people who'd gone through um, they were they were transitioning to the the other sex. They were transgender. Mm. Yeah. And. The guy ha- or the, the woman had sent the guy an article right when it happened and he responded, oh, wow, I didn't realize that scientifically was considered a mental illness. Well, they mm-hmm. chopped off the article and the conversation started with him saying that. And then the next message was, when are you scheduling your doctor's appointment? So they were trying they were trying to manipulate it to, to make it seem like he admitted he had mental health issues. Well, we yeah. show him the full. We object, and then at the next hearing, we show him a full transcript, and it was like he was going to the chiropractor for he'd thrown out his back. He was he was like a blue collar worker, and we showed him like they were talking about the military, and the, the the judge they're human. This person just blatantly lied. The attorney and the client, that's going to give you a huge advantage if if it's a he said she said
1: situation. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: All right, so we'll 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 kind of change uh, topics now here. So uh, we talked a little bit beforehand, and when Jake told me this, I was I was kind of shocked. Uh, but in Kansas, you guys actually there's actually the female has the ability pretty shortly after birth to terminate the rights of a father if they don't pay child support. So that what what are you guys accurate. having going on in Kansas involving that?
1: So in Kansas, they fought and this is this is a rule that not many people even think about and not many people think to look it up, especially new mothers. But a father has a duty six months prior to the birth of a child to support the mother throughout the pregnancy. And if they fail to support the mother throughout the pregnancy or at least throughout the final six months of the pregnancy, then the mother upon birth of the child can file a paternity action and ask for severance of the parental rights of the father based on their failure to support the minor child and that is you know that is one that does not get filed very often we've never filed it we've had it filed against our clients which we have rebutted it so it's a presumption you can obviously combat it and say well you know since the birth of the child we've gotten orders for uh uh, child support and he's been supporting the child now but in some instances where you know say that a mother files a paternity action doesn't put a father on the birth certificate nobody knows who dad is. And then, you know, they file, they eventually get service on dad. It's been maybe six months after birth. So now the court sees it as you haven't supported this, this child for instead of six months since birth for 12 months for the last six months while the child was in the womb.
0: Yeah, that that's, that's crazy. And then in, in California, you now, I believe it was in 2020, they started allowing parties to um, you could file um, for expenses from the pregnancy. And I'm guessing the 12 week thing, um, 10 to 12 weeks is usually when the first doctor's appointment is. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's where they, they got the, the six month mark, um, was when you're going to start going to the doctor. But yeah, in California, you can retroactively file and request, um, fees from the pregnancy. I think that the big difference here that we talked about um in california in kansas the mom can file prior to the birth on this correct
1: no no so so in kansas the mom cannot file no no party can file until the child is born
0: gotcha
1: okay and i think maybe in california you can pre you can file prior to the birth and maybe that's how you keep some or some some um opposing parties in the state uh, yeah other than just running but in kansas you can't file until there's until there's a live child And, you know, that is that is something that is extremely frustrating because mothers can kind of jump ship. They can travel to a different state and, you know, have their baby and file somewhere else and then, you know, just kind of disappear. And we've we've actually gone through that where we had a client where the natural mother, she had the baby and put a different father's name on the birth certificate, which creates a presumption. That that father is the parent. So then we had to file an entry of appearance for a paternity action and combat that presumption of the accuracy of the birth certificate. So we had to get a, a uh, genetics test ordered and it was a long, drawn out deal where it was six months before he even got to really see the child. It was it was a, yeah. it was an extremely drawn out ordeal.
0: Court takes time, and, and Morgan made another good comment. And this is in, in California; you can file prior to the child being born. So this goes back to where it's important. Uh, we talk about these topics in terms of states, and I'm in California. Jake's in Kansas. Different states are going to be different. In California, both parties in fear in theory can file prior to the child being born. Um, I've had this a couple times where we went and filed because the mom was threatening to leave the state in one instance and threatening to leave the country in another instance. So we ran and filed. And in California, you have what's called your your ATROS, your Automatic Temporary Restraining Order, which requires parties to get permission to move with the child. So different states, different rules. In California, if they're threatening to leave, if, if you believe you're the father and they're threatening to leave, you can run to the courthouse file. You get them served they're kind of stuck in the state until they get a judge to sign off on it. And realistically, a judge isn't going to sign off on a move until paternity has been established and, um, and the custody proceedings are at least underway. Right. So that, that's one of those, the, those things. And then um, it sounds like, so Kansas goes straight to child support, California, it's expenses of the pregnancy. Yep. So that that's one of those things that that's a little bit different. It's going to be different in each state. We've talked about child support in several different states, um, especially when it's in terms of going back. California, you're not going to go back and get child support. Kansas, you're going to be you could, you could in theory go back. I'm assuming and get six months worth of child support for those six months of the pregnancy. All right, awesome. So we're closing in on 50 minutes here. So um, if you have a question for myself or Jake. Put it in the comments. Uh, I'm gonna dig through here. I know we got a couple of questions that have already come in. Want to find one? I saw it earlier. Um, all right. So we'll take. This question here from Thomas. So Thomas says, it's been seven years and I pay my child support. She will not let me see them and she refuses to listen to the court order. Um, I'll start out first thing in almost every single state, child support and visitation are two separate issues. They, If you don't pay your child support, that doesn't mean they can withhold visitation. Now there are criminal penalties to not paying child support, but it has nothing to do with visitation. So Jake, I'll turn it over to you in the state of Kansas, you get a dad that comes in and says, I got an order. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. She's not following the order. What do you do? Uh,
1: first step would be to file like, seven years. Um, there is a, there's a procedure in Kansas to file an emergency order. Um, and I would, I would be hesitant to do that. in that, in that case, since you, if you haven't seen the child in seven years, um, I'd be hesitant to file an emergency just because of the lack of communication. However, I would file immediately file a contempt action. Um, you can file it in the, in, in the same case as the domestic matter. So you file a contempt, say that she's not following the court order. She's in, in indirect contempt of court by not allowing you visitation. Uh, that's just assuming in the court order that you do get visitation. And then on piggybacking that, I would file a motion to modify parenting time to, to at least Try to get more time with your children. Um, Now, the court may disfavor that because of the the lack of communication. However, they're going to take it seriously because she's been alienating you for seven years. And in Kansas, that is, like I said previous on this show, that's a major factor that courts consider. If one party is trying to alienate another party, Um, you know, in Kansas, you have a constitutional right to parent your child. Um, And if one parent is withholding that right from you, then, you know, they're going to have a difficult time at trial.
0: Yeah. And I think and here, here's, here's the piece too. So my opinion, um, a lot of guys jump straight to, I want to file for contempt. I want to file for contempt. I want to go after him. In a lot of instances, it may not make sense, but in an instance like this, I, we call them order for show cause. Mm-hmm. We're going to use that to attempt to modify behavior. Right. And so you may have a challenge on modifying custody too much at this point because it has been so long. Um, and they're going to look at the wrongs of mom. uh, But they're also going to look at what would be best for the child, given their age, given their school situation, all kinds of stuff like that. And I'll kind of get, I guess, Thomas's question was more two-part. So I would say order for show cause because you're looking to modify behavior. And that's that's your order that has teeth to be Mm -hmm. able to penalize them to modify behavior. First time you file it, the judge is going to be like, you better change or else second, third time you show up there, um, they're, they're going to be more inclined to bring the hammer. And I guess this, this probably plays more into the question. And I think this is probably a pretty short answer. So what can I do if I don't know where they live and the mother's kept them away? Um, probably private investigator. Um, That's exactly what I was gonna say. Is, is probably going to be your only bet. You'll, I mean, Uh, To be very candid, it's very hit or miss if you're going to hire a PI, Uh, but if you get a good one, they will track them down wherever they are Um, and they will at least get you an address. And if you don't have a custody case, you'll probably, that state that they're in or that area that are in will probably have jurisdiction, but you're going to have to go find yourself a PI that's going to have to put in some work to to locate where they're at. And if you find a good one, they're going to be able to find where they live. All right. So, all right. So we'll take Kevin's question here. What if she keeps threatening me to take me back to court because I'm one month behind in child support and she keeps threatening me and threatening me with taking me back to court? What am I supposed to do? I'll, I'll let you go first on this one, Jake.
1: Kevin, um, in your situation, if you're one month behind in child support and she's threatening to withhold the child because you are one month behind in child support, let her keep making those threats. It's going to cost her five times more to hail you back into court than what she's going to receive in child support, and also she's going to get hammered with the with the failure to co-parent uh, because child support and parenting time don't play a role. They shouldn't play a role. Inter. They, they shouldn't. They should not intermingle. They should not have an effect on one another so that she can threaten that all she wants, but keep exercising your parenting time. The
0: practicality of it is technically you'd be in contempt of court, but I don't know a judge, as long as you're making progress towards it. In California here, we get like, it may take six months to get a child support order in place. And dad may be $6,000, $12,000 behind on child support when the orders, Mm -hmm. it is what it is. Um, But as long as you're making payments towards it and you're trying, so if you're one month behind and then next month you make your child support payment plus $50 and you keep trying to do that. And if you guys are communicating, if you clearly communicate that to her, if it's like, hey, I COVID affected my job or, or whatever, and you're trying, there's not a judge in this country who's going to bring the hammer down on you. Um, but if it keeps building, um, say if you've changed jobs and you can no longer afford it, something like that, you need to be the one that files to go in into modify. Because on the backside of that, one of the things I've seen coming out of COVID is dads sat on their hands when they lost their jobs and child support bills piled up. And the judge isn't going to find you in contempt, you lost your job, anything like that. But... You're not going to be able to go back and change that in California, at least. You're not going to be able to go back and change that child support amount. So, I had guys who came in early to mid 2021 and said, I lost my job in April of of 20, and now I'm $15,000 behind in child support. I'm like, well, we need to file a modification. But unfortunately, you're stuck with this year's worth of child support that you didn't pay because you lost your job. So, if the reason you're behind is because of a change in circumstance, you need to run back into the court and you need to get a modification. If not, you need to absolutely do your best um, to get that paid up. Um, If you're paying through the state, a lot of states, if you communicate with the child support office and say, Hey, here's what happened. Here's what I'm doing. um, That that can also help you and they aren't going to go after you as long as you're making progress on paying that arrears.
1: Right. And so so in Kansas, uh we do all child support uh, well 99 of child support we have some cases that are handled privately but in 99 percent of child support issues are handled through kansas payment center and kansas payment center operates off of what is called an income withholding order and in that income withholding order dads start usually behind the eight ball because there might not be a child support order until six months into the case and then th- those arrears are stacked up so in that income withholding order you can actually agree to tack on like a hundred bucks a month until those arrears are paid in full on top of your actual child support obligation that chips away at arrears. So you're actually behind in child support, but you're chipping away at the arrears with the additional payment. So I wouldn't let her scare you. I wouldn't let her scare you with that.
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't be too concerned. And that's that's exactly out here in California. If you're behind, the judge is going to look at you. Normally, if both sides are represented, the attorneys are going to say, hey, um, my guy, it's tight right now, but my guy can pay $50 towards arrears every month. The attorney's like, thumbs up, let's do it. Um, or like, ah, can we make it a little more? So typically with, with an amount, even when the amount gets larger, especially when there's a modification, normally the courts are going to, be in favor of you chipping away at that rather than trying to do something dramatic. Now, if you're just simply not paying, and this happens month after month, that's what um, that, that's when a judge is going to come down with a hammer. That's when a contempt action may actually be successful. That's, there are some instances where you've seen states get really aggressive, but I think in general now, um, states want to see dads or whoever's paying the support, as long as they're trying, they're just going to keep collecting that money.
1: Right. All
0: right. So we'll take one more question here or maybe two if we're quick. Um, so we'll talk about this one. I, I don't know how much you deal with this in, in the good old state of Kansas. I'm a Midwest boy at heart, but, um, international travel. Um, can we talk about international travel with a custody order? Um, so do you guys deal with that much?
1: We don't deal with it much. We've had a few, um, I actually just had one a few months ago that traveled outside the country and we made sure that everything was documented. Everything was buttoned up as far as the custody. What, so we actually file we actually had a filing as to, um, it was, it was an agreement as to a vacation and I've never done an order like that before. It was very unorthodox. The judge even questioned it, but. We just had to get it on file that this was the agreement. They were going to go to this place. It's outside the country. Their flight was on this day and this day. In the event they couldn't get the flight back, they were going to call, and that and that parenting time will be made up at a further date. So yeah, it's, that's probably the one time I've ever dealt with it, and we just had to make sure everything was documented and buttoned up.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that I think that, In, in my, I guess in my practice, being in Southern California, um, that we have a lot of people from Mexico, from Central America, um, Asia, pretty large Asian population, um, where they have large family roots out of the country. Uh, typically in a custody order, you're going to, if, if it's agreeable, you may see where each parent can have two seven day vacations, one 10 day vacation, and there'll be specific rules set out or it may say you need parent, uh, parental, usually international is gonna require the written approval of the other parent or an order from the judge. So yes. you're either gonna have to agree to the rules and then submit them to the court, or they're gonna have to file to go in front of the court. And, and this is a kind of a comment along the lines of it. Yes, Japan is, is probably one of the main culprits of this, but there are several countries who don't recognize foreign custody orders so um you have to be careful happens a lot here Um, we have several large military bases um, out here in southern california and so sometimes they'll be stationed in japan and say they meet a japanese woman that woman gets back to japan there's not a whole lot you can do to get them back um but in general international travel you're uh you're going to have to get both parties to agree or the judge is going to set the rules um in terms of what that travel will look like so all right we're close we're at we're an hour now um so i i don't want to take too much of your time tonight jake i know uh being in central time zone a little bit later um but uh okay so number one is uh you're in the state of kansas what parts of the state of kansas do you service
1: uh we service pretty much anywhere east of wichita up to east of salina um we do we have a ton of cases and we do we travel a lot um uh, the the founding partner's name is bob johnson he actually had he was a county counselor out in western kansas um i think it was seward county for about 10 years and he built up a a, a sizable practice out there um he did very well for himself out there so we still have some clients out in western kansas but Anywhere east of Wichita and Salina, uh, we, we like to handle those cases. Awesome, awesome. And then where can they get a hold of you? So if you just Google my name, uh, it should bring up the firm webpage. Or if you Google Johnson Schoengert, I think which was on the promo that Mark put out, um, that should pull up our webpage and our, and our phone numbers on there. Um, if you have any questions, just feel free to give us a call. Just mention my name to one of the secretaries and they can put you in touch.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jake, for coming on tonight. It was a pleasure uh, reconnecting. I know uh, you're the first person that I guess we, I guess we were technically pre-law school. Um, yeah. yeah. We, we, we met in Milwaukee on actually a uh, visit to the university, uh, to Marquette yeah. uh, Law School. Uh, now it's been like what? That's uh, Shoot, seven, that's been years seven years
1: and a half years probably.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's been a while. It was great to reconnect. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, to the viewers, we'll be back next week. Um, we're going to have Minnesota Attorney Ryan McLaughlin's going to come back on. Going to talk about uh, the class action lawsuit that the Father's Rights Movement is uh, working on funding. Uh, so that should be a good episode. So we'll see everybody next
1: week. All right.